We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Chanae Ogumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Hello. We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Tua looks small, and he doesn't have a ton of wiggle, and he's not Kyler Murray. So let me just say this about the game. Kyler Murray was unstoppable against what I perceive as an excellent head coach and a very good defense. Tua did a lot of his stuff against what I consider to be a bad defense, and I don't know about the coaching staff. The combination of Brian Flores and Tua, you should be very excited about. And in the history of the NFL, defensive coaches with great quarterbacks win Super Bowls. Belichick Brady, Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson. Tua was really impressive. Now, again, it's a limited defense, but I love what Miami did. They rolled him left, they rolled him right. There were seven-step drops, there were short drops, there was a quarterback draw. He showed, as Trent Dilfer talked about, short space athleticism. What I really liked about Tua, and I've had a couple of coordinators that have dealt with him before, I know at Alabama, is that it's not just being quick physically, but a lot of great quarterbacks or good quarterbacks aren't great because they're not quick instinctively. I think Flores says, you know what? With our personnel, Tua's actually a better fit. He's not a gunslinger. He plays a more calculated style. And the second thing is, we got to see if this kid, live bullets, can play. Because every you can, a lot of guys are great at practice. But when there's the fear of, oh, I can hear footsteps, and these are not my buddies that I have lockers next to. These guys will take me out. They'll horse collar and throw me down. They'll go low. They'll hit me high. And I thought, too. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. We have the Rock Pile Report podcast, and that was Colin Cowherd of Fox Sports 1 on Tua's game against Arizona, proving that his waffling and hot takery knows no bounds. The man is shameless. 
Well, if you listen to his show on the reg like I do, uh, you'll know that on Friday during his uh, Blazing Five, his five NFL picks, oh boy. he... His favorite bet was Arizona to cover on Miami. <laughs> that was his favorite bet. But he's so smart, Chris. Yeah. Well, he was one and four on his Blazing Five, so. What do I have to do to get a TV show like that? Is it just, I mean, because I, I'm pretty sure I can say some absurd things, too. You hear most of it on Sundays. Yeah, but the way Cowherd does it is whether you agree with his opinions or not, they're well thought out. And he presents them how it should be presented. Are he's, they really? He's a personality. That's the key. Everybody forgets personality. He delivers it with personality. You would do the if you had his show. You would deliver it in a drunken rage. Yes. Which is not. <laughs> which is not what TV executives want. Yeah, but that's why we do a podcast. Yes, you have freedom. And folks, we are here to round up Week Nine in the AFC East. What a week. The haves and have-nots are starting to separate themselves. The Buffalo Bills sitting at 7-2 and two in first place. Our win over the Seahawks puts the Bills at the 7-win mark by Week 10 for the first time since 93. Arguably the Bills' most convincing win of the season, which is saying something considering the teams that we've already played. And it marked a return to the early season form from their offense, proving that it wasn't just a fluke, but also showed that there still might be hope for a defense that... While still not the soundest unit in terms of yardage, is starting to show flashes of that playmaking ability that made them so dangerous back in 2019. Then you've got the Dolphins at 5-3 and three, sitting in second place. Last week, it was the defense carrying Tua. This week, the offense steps in and saves the day. The win keeps them within striking distance of the top seat in the AFC East. It keeps them in the race. And it earned them, they now currently, if the, if the season ended today, playoff spot. When's the last time you could say that about a Dolphins team? When uh, they had Adam Gase and they got their shit rocked by the Steelers. I remember that game against the Steelers was over. I went to go pick up a pizza. I, I left shortly before kickoff to go pick up pizza. And by the time I got back, they were already down by two scores. I was like, what the hell happened? I thought this was... And they were like, oh, yeah. Also, the quarterback got knocked out. And also, a bunch of wide receivers got beat up. It's like, oh, you guys just came into this game flat-footed, not knowing that the Steelers, they they play for blood. You know, I don't, I don't think that was one of the games because I think that was the, the 16 playoffs because once I separated from my ex-wife, there, my, my thing was for the playoffs is I would just get hammered for one playoff day. And I don't think it was that. because I think that was the day that you threw up in your hoodie. No. That was I, the day Bob Kateris looked at me and goes... You sure that guy should be driving? And I was no. like, me? I don't know. I don't, yeah. That, <laughs> I'm not his father. I don't know if that was it. <laughs> Never again, Chris. I don't I've know. kept an eye on you ever since. Yeah, well, I mean, there's always one one day during the postseason where I lose my cool and have, <laughs> have so much alcohol. The Patriots, sitting in third place, in beating the winless Jets, they sit at three and five. By beating the winless Jets by a field goal, the Patriots managed to be both winners and losers at the same time. And the Jets at 0-9 in fourth place, I mean, Jets fans got to experience a whole new anxiety. Watching their team almost blow their shot at the number one overall pick on national television. To win that game would have been the most gayest thing ever, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. 
So where to begin, Chris, with this week's show? I mean, you heard it in the intro. It's our lead-in segment. The Miami Dolphins go out west and win a surprising game against the Arizona Cardinals, 34-31. And here to talk about it with us tonight, Mr. Elf Artiaga. How are you doing down in the very wet South Florida? I was going to say wet, but I guess you just introduced me the, the correct way. Yeah, we're wet down here. <laughs> it's There's water everywhere. I'd be wet, too, if my team won four in a row. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> For people listening who may not be aware, uh, Mr. Artiaga is in quite a situation down there. There's flooding in Florida. His yard work series has been delayed. The three yards per carry podcast has been delayed. And yet he soldiered on to join us tonight. Elf, that, that means a lot, brother. Yeah. You know, of course, I'm going to do all those things as soon as I get off the air with you guys. But yeah, it was delayed. It was delayed a day. And I had everybody in my three yards per carry account, you know, asking, you know, can I just go somewhere else to do it? And I'm like, yeah, I could, I'll swim across, you know, 12th Avenue to, to, to go do a podcast for you guys. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> priorities, Elf, priorities. Now, this game was a lot of fun. I think I messaged you towards the end of it. Now, I was probably about 11 or 12 beers deep at this point in the day. But after the game, I messaged you, and I was like, I'm not a Dolphins fan, but that game was a lot of fun. That was a yes. fun football game to watch. Last week, it was the defensive defensive unit and the special teams that bailed out your quarterback. This week, against one of the more high-octane offenses in the NFL, it was the Miami passing attack that held serve. First question, the Miami hype bus. Is it overflowing at this point? I mean, I assume there's no social distancing going on aboard the bandwagon for Miami right now. No, everybody's pretty excited about it. But, you know, the, the Bills are doing pretty well as well. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I don't know if you saw that that Jets-Patriots game. I couldn't see it because I didn't have power. But I heard that the Patriots were, were losing for most of the game. They needed a late-second field goal. So we're it. Like, we're all that that's left of the AFC East. So it's pretty exciting because it's two young quarterbacks. Now, in the intro to tonight's show, Tua Tagovailoa, he's the story of the week. Are you shocked to hear that Colin Cowherd is waffling? If not, Chris, dare I say, holy flip-flopping from one week to the next in his opinion of Tua? Yeah. Yeah, and, and giving a ton of backhanded compliments. And I've just about had enough with, with all the, you know, he's small talk. Like, he's not small. Like, they measure these guys. And he's, you know, he's confirmed over six feet. And he's weighed <laughs> 230 pounds before. And they told him to get a little lighter. And for this year, he's lighter. He's about 215 pounds, 216 pounds. So he's not small. I, I, I don't understand. This is why I get this audio, because I know that it bothers you to hear the national media because they don't I mean we've had this conversation before on the show where you know you're arguing with people on Twitter that you know Miami hasn't been good for a long time and they're not they just see numbers they don't they don't follow it as closely as you do well and, yeah. and Bills fans if anything that resonates with Bills fans right because we're all in the same boat which makes it that much funnier that it's our two teams pretty much sitting on top of the division at this point yeah, and it wasn't really that hard to, to see coming, you know. Uh, last year, this was not a very talented team. It had just basically the – not even – you can you couldn't even say that they had the foundation. You had a handful of players that you wanted going forward, and they won five games. Then you added $140 million in cap spending and 17 draft picks, including 
six picks in the top 100. And, you know, okay, they hit bingo on almost all of them. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's the lucky part. And they're good. Like, you know, that happens. When you add 30 good players in one offseason, usually your team gets pretty good. Oh, yeah. No, but you expect to see. They're a- getting around to, it, to to watching them play now. Well, and that's it. Now the national media is finally taking, they're finally taking into account what Miami Dolphins fans already knew. Was this the biggest win of the season so far for Miami? I would say yes. It was the biggest win. It wasn't the most surprising win. The most surprising win was when they kicked the crap out of the 49ers because that game was over at the start of the second quarter. And you're thinking, okay, this is going to be a a dogfight. And then all of a sudden you're thinking to yourself, this is over and there's still three quarters to play. But that one was the best one because I really do feel that Arizona is a really good team. They had beaten the Seahawks. Their defense had played well against Russell Wilson, and their offense is a top two, top three offense in the NFL. So, yeah, and and winning the way that they won, which is they had to outscore them well, and score 10 points in the fourth quarter to do it. So, and and that's yeah. to me, makes this the story of the week for the AFC East. It really does. I mean, as much as I'd like to sit here and pound my chest about Josh Allen and his big day and the future for the Buffalo Bills – You're looking at a rookie in his second start ever, coming off a 93-yard passing performance. Chris, his first play was a strip sack fumble. Yeah, that's not not a good—it's like the equivalent of Sam Darnold's first throw. Pick six. Except Sam Darnold never peaked. He just continued to suck and then eventually got hurt, and maybe he's just going to die alone on an island somewhere. But at this point, I look at Tua, and I guess the question becomes what changed— from one week to the next where all of a sudden he is not only a competent quarterback, he's making the types of throws that I watched him make at Alabama. Throws to tertiary targets. Not even just, okay, I'm, I have one or two reads, but I'm going to my third, I'm going to my backup tight end. I'm finding checkdowns in space. What was Miami able to exploit in the Arizona defense that made to his day as sharp as it was? Well, uh, first of all, I think it, uh, his game against the Rams, I think, was just a, a matter of circumstances. And he had some bad luck also. He had a ton of drops. We had, a, I believe it was six drops by the, the Miami wide receivers, including Preston Williams, who was really good in this game until he got hurt. But I think what happened in this game was Chan Gailey opening up the offense. Our running game is not much to speak of as, as of right now. But he's using it as a bridge to get to other things in the playbook. And as long as they're running for 100 yards, even if it's on 22, 24, 25 carries, that's good enough because that that gets them to the other things that they want to get to with Tua. Well, no, and that's, and that's the impressive thing. Like when you look, you guys were 50% on third down conversions. That's pretty impressive. I mean, the Bills have been one of the best third down teams in the league this year. And yet Miami, with two at the helm, hasn't been bad. And he had a no. great showing on Sunday. And then when you look, I think the thing that surprised me most about watching him play was the mobility. Because I figured for a smaller guy who, to as much as I, as much as I don't like Colin Cowherd's shock jockery and his approach to, hey, I'm going to say inflammatory shit and then I'm going to pivot the next week and act like I love that guy because he did something wonderful. Seven rushes for 35 yards for Tua in that 17-yard scramble late in the game just to hang on. That's that's why he was drafted in the top 10 of the NFL draft this year. It's that kind of play right there where, no, he's not the most athletic quarterback on the field. He's never going to run like Kyler Murray. But he can give you something. 
and he's his competitive toughness is going to will him to those types of plays. How big was that aspect of his game? He's very Russell Wilson-like, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, Russell Wilson's not a guy that's going to run for 100 yards a game, but it, he'll escape, and he'll get a, uh, he'll get seven yards on third and four, just like uh, Tua Baloa did uh, yesterday when – well, Sunday – when he escaped out of the pocket and gave that move to Buda Baker, and Buda Baker ended up hitting air, and he got seven yards on third and four, that was a huge conversion because they showed the replay. There was nothing there. And you see that he went back, looked, scan left, scan right, and everybody was cut, covered, including the back out of the backfield. And he decided, okay, there's a crease right here. I need four yards. I think he can get it. <laughs> and he got seven. So... And I'll tell you what, when you got a safety like Buda Baker coming, I mean, he's not the biggest guy, but he hits bigger than he is. I mean, that's yeah. scary. <laughs> Even a quarter. I, and I don't know if I chalk it up to youth. Maybe he just doesn't know any better yet. Because, I mean, we, Chris, we see it with Josh Allen. Josh Allen's learning when to take off and when to take hits and when to just kind of slide, when to protect himself. Yeah, that, that's that's not coming to Josh Allen that that smoothly. He's, there's still times where it's like, Ugh. would you just go down? On the flip side of the ball, this is something that stood out to me, though. It's the third time this year that the Dallas, the, the Dallas, geez, I, I just see the big D and I say Dallas. Uh, your defense has allowed 31 points this season. The third time against Seattle, against Buffalo, and now against Arizona. But it's the first time you guys came away with a win. And you alluded to it earlier. Ten unanswered points in the final frame of the game is what essentially iced it. That and a missed field goal by Arizona. A missed field goal to tie that I think their kicker probably hits. You know, I heard the narrative already. I've heard from P. Oh, well, the kicker, if the kicker misses, he misses that kick probably one out of every three attempts. That is a missable kick. It's not, yes. a, it's not a guaranteed. So the fact that you guys were able to hold them to that field goal attempt speaks to the defense in that fourth quarter. What did you guys do schematically in that quarter to finally ratchet down and stop the bleeding? Well, some of the, the zero blitzes were getting home, and they were also playing very exotic coverages where they would show zero blitzes and then get guys out to guard the sticks and then trust the corners over the top. Now, a couple of times they got big plays on that because Kyler Murray bought extra time in the pocket, and then he hit Christian Kirk on that long touchdown, and then he hit him again late in the game to move him closer for that, uh, that field goal attempt. But Dolphin fans were, were, you know, were pretty pissed off on Twitter during that game because they kept calling Xavier Howard for pass interference after pass interference to extend drives every third down and once on fourth and one when they had Calamari dead to rights. And he essentially just threw it up for grabs. And so the Dolphins, uh, at least Dolphin fans, felt that the defense had – put the finishing touches on that game at least three times until they finally did by getting that stop on fourth and one. Well, and I'll, t- I'll tell you this. I, I, the reason I'm asking these questions is because we face them this week. And the things you're saying, I mean, Chris, if I were to explain to you what, who, who, what team has a mobile quarterback who can sometimes, even though you cover well, can take advantage of your linebackers in space and your safeties? Well, that would be a quarterback named Josh Allen. Yep. Uh, if you had a defense that can show exotic looks and then bail out of them at the last second, confuse good quarterbacks, that sounds a lot like uh, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. 
I, I'm interested. I, I that's part of the reason I was watching. It was for scouting purposes, and I expected you guys to get rolled. How confident were you going into this that it would be a game? I felt it was going to be a game because the the Dolphins don't have they just don't have that look of a team that's going to get beat up by anybody this year. They're going to be in games because their defense, their defense, they could get after the quarterback and they could stop the pass because they have very good defensive backs and the two corners are really really good. And now they have a quarterback that doesn't turn it over and is very efficient. So that's going to lend itself to a close game. So I don't think that they're going to get beat up the rest of the way. It could ha- it could happen because everybody has one of those games, but it's just not something I expect from now on. I didn't expect them to win the game, but I didn't expect them to get beat up, though. One of the final questions that I want to pick your brain about, because you're a film guy. You're someone who analyzes film. You do a lot of things. You dig into the nuances of the game. One of the things that people talk about is that young quarterbacks – kind of especially rookies playing in their first year they they're kind of they make a lot of scripted throws there's a lot of plays where it's like okay we're going to keep this simple one read two read and then here's a check down or one read two read get the ball out in under three seconds but in the intro you heard it talk you heard colin coward talking about how Tua was doing a lot of exotic things seven step drops where it's just like okay we're going to drop you back and let a play unfold and you have to read the field now, that's mm-hmm. always been a strong part of his game. One of the things that I look at, though, just from our own experience, last season the Buffalo Bills went 3-0 and against quarterbacks with zero or one full season of experience under their belt, mostly because those quarterbacks, by the time we got to play them, had at least a few games of tape that now defensive coordinators can kind of exploit. And without that veteran savvy to say, okay, these are my tendencies, and now i got to pivot away from them because a, t- a, a, a team is taking them away, a lot of young quarterbacks struggle because they don't know how to make that switch, or they don't know how to vary their approach. I mean, we're seeing some of that in L.A. with Justin Herbert. He, You see, I mean, ultimately, he has just one win as a quarterback. He's mm. done a good job, but teams have figured out throughout the course of every single game how to take away what he's comfortable with and force him into bad positions. And he's not savvy enough yet to pivot and do the things that they're to kind of zig when they zag. Do you is there any fear in your mind as you're watching the film on these games that Tua could eventually fall into the same boat? No. And and I really do mean that. Uh, if you watch him, it's just uh, his accuracy and where he goes with the football. He's very He's conservative, you could say, as far as managing, you know, down and distance. But he recognizes when he has an advantage in coverage. And he almost, it's almost 100% of the time, he takes a shot. And in this game, it seemed to be every time he saw single high, he was like, okay, let me see how I could get the ball down the field. And he would try. Even if he didn't get it, he would try. And and in this game, he was 8 for 10 on passes past 20 yards. So that tells you all you need to know. He was he was actually pinpoint accurate. And one thing that really impressed me was that Chan Gailey at one time called the max protect and threw three guys out into the, the route on third and nine. And we had three guys running against a secondary of six. And nobody was really open. Devontae Parker had maybe a step on an in cut. And Tua threw it before he made the cut. And the ball was right on his hands. And that was against Patrick Peterson. So that really, really impressed me. So they're letting him do what 
you know, what he did best at Alabama is just be accurate and make good decisions. Oh, so that's got to make this next week's matchup that much sweeter because you guys get to go home and play the Chargers. <laughs> the other quarterback drafted in the top 10 of this this year's draft. I mean, your team is in the AFC playoff picture as of today. You guys get a game. You get to see rookie quarterback versus rookie quarterback. There's a lot of fun to be had there. Is there any concern about the pressure to have to keep stacking wins to stay in this playoff picture? Just that being put on the shoulders of a young quarterback. Well, I mean, trust me, I'm, I've watched to his career. I know that in the face of pressure like that, he's pretty much unflappable. Are you concerned that any of that's changed here at the NFL level? Or do, are you confident that you guys are going to be able to hang on to this wild card spot that you currently hold? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident because if you look at the schedule, they should be favorite in the next four games. And it's not that I think two is gonna, you know, light them all on fire. Is is I think he's gonna play well. And if he plays well, our defense doesn't look like the type of defense that's gonna get beat by a rookie quarterback, especially one that can't run for a hundred yards, which is our Achilles heel. Every every mobile quarterback usually gets out of the pocket on us. And I think it has to do a lot with all the blitzes that we that we do, all the exotic blitzes we do. So if we don't get there, it's opening up running lanes. I don't I know that he's mobile, but I don't fear Justin Herbert's legs. And once we start showing him all of those exotic looks, I do look forward to some turnovers. Chris, the days of the Bills Dolphins rivalry for the top of the division seem like they're back on, huh? I can't wait till the end of the season. <laughs> Cannot wait for that. <laughs> I really do believe. I'll tell you right now. I really do believe we're playing for something big. At the end of the I can't wait. I can't wait. Why don't you tell everybody what you have now that you have access to the internet? <laughs> and now that you're not trying to snorkel your way to Wi-Fi access. Tell everybody what you have coming down the pipeline in your podcast and over for your yard work series this week. Yeah, yard work. Uh, we're going to break down some plays from that game. I have right now in my notes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight plays and one bonus play for the yard work series. And as far as the podcast, we're going to have two podcasts this week. Uh, we usually come out on Mondays, but obviously I couldn't do the podcast on Monday. So we're going to be having a podcast tonight and then our preview show of Chargers Dolphins on Thursday. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, 
Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. All right, and so as we wrap up things with Miami... There was another game that was just on last night, Chris. One of the most, if you're, a f- if you like we are, are just a petty, petty human being, then there's nowhere you would rather be than right there, right then, glued to the TV on Monday Night Football as the Patriots took on the New York Jets. Call it the Schadenfreude Bowl. And here to talk to us about the Patriots' 30 to 27 win over the Jets is Pats fan extraordinaire, Mr. Christian Simonelli. How are you doing tonight, sir? Well, I'd be better if we lost, but I'm okay. How are you? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. It is chaos. I, last week, you guys lost to the Bills in a game that pretty much signaled the end of your competitive streak. Last night, you guys went out and had to go blow for blow, trading leads with the zero-win New York Jets. Joe Flacco looking like 2013 Joe Flacco. I mean... This team has been talked about as one of the worst in NFL history, and there's the Patriots trailing for a majority of the game. Something that I didn't, I mean, I, out of all the shitty outcomes, I didn't see that one coming. Like, I, I really just figured I, I would be here like a vulture to pick the carcass of whatever was left over. Man, sitting at home watching that game, what was it like for you? Well, you know, I, I, I went into the game saying, okay, you know, they're probably going to, beat this team and it's going to give everybody a false sense of security which is the last thing that I wanted even though the Jets were 0-8 when they were down early by 10 I was like this is fantastic nail in the coffin we can just kick back relax try to get a top 5 pick this season's done then they actually decided to play the second half but the Jets and the Jets just gave the game away I mean 12 men on the field, I know, on a, on, a, on a field goal attempt gives the Patriots a first down. Now, this team is so bad, they don't do anything with it, and they still have to kick the field goal. But still, it was just that just sort of energy that made my stomach turn. And then I don't think I've ever been so unhappy in my life when Nick Folk kicked that field goal with three seconds left, and they're all jumping around on the field. And I would be up in front of my TV pacing, if it was any other year, and I just looked at the team in disgust and was just disgusted because I know all the guys that are here, the majority of them, they're not going to be here next year. <laughs> it's going to be a totally different team. So why why should I care? Well, I don't. And that, and I that's hate ex- to win. And that's exactly it. That's the thing. I mean, I thought last week was the basement for you guys. But the 2020 Patriots are pretty much, they're, they're, they're a lot like the late, great Billy Mays. And the fact that every time you think they found the basement, they, they find a way to just turn around and go, but wait, there's more. <laughs> there's more coming. <laughs> I mean, to watch that football game, the struggle through the early part of the season had primarily been on offense. And there was enough of that on display last night. But... Seeing the defense play so poorly over the last three weeks, I guess that's the question, and you kind of alluded to it. Does it signal a bigger wave of change being necessary for 2021 than you guys might have expected? Yeah, just based on the lineup. 
um, you know, I mean, you look at this defense and the guys that they had out there. Um, I pride myself on being a, you know, a pretty big fan. And, you know, I've been following the team for, you know, really since 1993 when, um, you know, the Pats got uh, Bill Parcells and, and drafted Drew Bledsoe. I mean, you got guys out there. Therese Hall just brought up from the practice squad. Um, Adrian Phillips playing linebacker. They didn't have any linebackers. Juwan Bentley, their sole linebacker, was out. Um, and you just these guys that are out there, like a jag, just total jags. Nick Thurman, John Simon, Cody Davis. I mean, these guys are. I don't know any of these guys, and I I can't imagine them being on the team next year. Look, everybody wants to point towards Brady and his departure, and rightfully so. But you guys know more than anybody because you dissect the draft more than anybody. This is something that's been building for the past, I'd say, five five off-seasons, five drafts. Bill Belichick has done a horrific job in bringing young talent into this team. Many years ago, he would draft a guy with the idea of having that guy sort of sit and redshirt a year and then be the replacement the following year. The list is endless. He's not done that. And fundamentally, this team... It needs to complete teardown, as, as Paul Perillo said on the Patriots Unfiltered show, a complete teardown to the studs. That's exactly what this team needs. I mean, we saw it last night, and this was one of my biggest takeaways, was that it's gone beyond, like, the team has gotten so untalented that even your best players, you're almost, I don't want to call it a malaise, but you're seeing them now, their performance is starting to crater. I mean, first of all, there's Cam Newton. Is he even trying to pass anymore? I don't think he is. I mean, he had a his poor night as a quarterback reared its head in that red zone sequence where, after penalties, it was third and goal from the 13 or like 14. And Cam's go to, he scrambles from pressure, and despite three people standing in the end zone, decides that he can still try to run it in from 14 yards out. Right. And you guys end up kicking a field goal. Because Cam can't throw. He is, he now still, I believe, has two touchdown passes on the season. Through, through eight games, that, yeah. that, that, that's an abomination. Later, he had Myers wide open for that sure touchdown and just badly overthrew him. Like, oh. how, what, what happened to you on that play? Like, what were, were you cheering for that missed? <laughs> That was really torn. I gotta be honest. Like he, 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 he went back. He had time. He let it go. And then I see Myers break free of the coverage. And I'm like, Oh, wow. I would love to see them hit this play. And then as soon as he overthrew him by like, you know, 10 yards, I was like, bum. Um, and then I was just like, Whew, thank God they missed it. Yeah, he was exactly. Got range of emotions. Um, <laughs> he, he has awful mechanics. And that's one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm so, like I, I am just baffled by that the, his mechanics haven't improved, and they and they referenced this on the telecast multiple times last night. He throws parallel to the line of scrimmage. His body is wide open towards the line of scrimmage. He does not throw like you're supposed to throw the ball. So every time he goes back to throw, it's like he's throwing a javelin, and the ball sails. Like the and that was the problem with the Myers play. Like the ball sails too high and he and he misses guys so I was having a hard time saying he, he was 11 for 11 in the game and I'm like I've been watching this whole game how is this guy 11 for 11 he's throwing the ball so bad I, I, I couldn't believe he could, we completed his first 11 passes well I'll tell you um, this but again the, the Jets are that bad there so. was a couple times there was a couple times in the game where I made note of the fact that it, for being such a big guy 
He looked. Chris, do you remember when Ryan Fitzpatrick would try to throw a ball 40 yards downfield? Knowing he didn't have the arm, and you would watch him load up and put his whole body into a throw. Yeah, it's probably like me trying to knock you off your feet. Yes. I would watch. I would Last night during the game, I saw Cam Newton do it not once, but like four or five times, where it looked like it took every ounce of strength in his body to throw an eight-yard out or like a deep in. But he really was fighting the football. And then... I think even more unforgivable because of what a staple they've been for the Patriots. You even see the McCourty brothers. Like, they look... And maybe it's part malaise. Again, I don't want to say that because they're they're, they're border... I don't want to call them Hall of Fame players, but they're going in the Patriots' ring of honor, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, Dev... Yeah, Dev is. I mean, Devin is. Okay. Jason. Jason. Yeah, Dev definitely is. So sure. Devin McCourty going to be in the Patriots' ring of honor. I see an interception that bounces. Was it him that had the interception that could have probably been a pick six if he catches that in stride? Bounce off of his face. Oh yeah, yeah, he was gone. It would have been like the the, the play in Seattle earlier in the year where he just would have went in and touched right. And instead, yep. it slips through his fingers directly into his face and just falls harmlessly to the turf. And then later on in the game, his brother, okay. Huge P.I. call late in the second quarter that puts the Jets on the edge of the red zone, and then he gets beat on the next play by Flacco on a throw to the corner. First of all, a pass I didn't even think Joe Flacco could throw anymore, and a catch that as a safety covering a slot-wide receiver, I don't know how you let that happen. Like, that touched that whole sequence. Yeah, he, um, Joe Flacco was shades. Yeah, Joe Flacco was sh- shades of 2012 when he went on that incredible run when they won the Super Bowl with Baltimore. Um, you know, he was just he was just you know nailing it. I think one of the biggest things too that it showed last night the absence of Stephon Gilmore, who by all accounts really hasn't had that good of a year, but but with him not being in there, really exposed the other guys. You know, it's that trickle down effect like you have it on the other play when you lose the top guy in a group. Um, they go and they pick on everybody else, and that's exactly what they did last night. And, you know, if it were me, I, I'd throw it at Jason McCourty, you know, all day. <laughs> so all of this stuff, I mean, you guys did manage to escape the game with a last-minute field goal that the Jets' secondary is just so poor that they couldn't help themselves. They gave it to you because they're bad. <laughs> they were trying desperately to win that football game and just couldn't find a way to get it done. So then today there's a tweet from Colin Cowherd which I wouldn't know about if it wasn't for you. I would never have seen it if you didn't comment on it. Colin Cowherd tweets out, Tom Brady left New England. Why can't Bill? And you responded by saying he hasn't made in New England. Both kids on the staff, his program, his coaches, etc. Also, at this stage, why start over with a new team and city to accomplish what? I'll ask you this. Now, from a fan perspective, I understand why you... Wait a minute now. Hold on, be fair. Why don't you tell the audience what your reply was to my tweet? (laughs) (laughs) My reply was that, hey, this is a free country, and the man is free to leave anytime. (laughs) Preferably sooner (laughs) rather than later. He can get the hell out of here, too. Okay, we got rid of Tom. We can get rid of Billy, too. (laughs) But I digress. So now I want to dig into this just a little bit with you, because to your point, Billichek laid the foundation for what is your 2020 season. Five years of poor drafting. Number one draft picks in Nikhil Harry that don't pan out. 
linebackers and Chase Winovich and uh, young guys like Uche and uh, who was the safety that you guys took? Kyle Duggar. Lenroy, what? Kyle, Kyle Duggar. Duggar. Who aren't really playing prominent roles for the team, although Uche was banged right. up. But when you look more and more and more of these draft picks, Sony Michelle in the first round, when more productive running backs got drafted after him, it's, you know, I made the joke last week with Mike Debate from Lockdown Patriots how, shocker, an Alabama running back in Damian Harris is outplaying a uh, Georgia running back. Oh, shocker. <laughs> who's shocked? Not this guy. It's almost like who's the better Patriot running back, Sony Michelle or Lawrence Maroney? <laughs> I, <laughs> and it's becoming that. And so here's the question. If this GM, because that's what he is, he's, your, he's not only your head coach, who we know him to be a Hall of Famer. He's going to wear a gold jacket. As a GM, over the last five years, he's created this vacuum that you now live in. Where you look at this team and say, this thing has to get blown up because we don't have anything. Two questions. One, are you still confident Bill Belichick's the guy to do it? And two, are you sure he wants to do it? I'm confident that he is the guy based on his overall body of work over the years. So I I am confident that he can go out there and find guys. For all the bad drafts that he's had in the past handful of years, this is a guy that's basically remade the team about three times in 20 years. He can draft, he can evaluate talent, he can find the guys. He's just on a back street right now. Some argue that maybe the game has passed him by. I don't believe that. I believe he still comes up with good game plans every week. I just believe that he is just at a real bad streak and can't find the players. For all the crap that he's drafted the past five years, this is a guy that's drafted Gronk, that's drafted Hightower, that's drafted Chandler Jones, although we don't want to pay Chandler Jones, whatever, he can still play. Um, you know, he remade this defense. He can find talent. He can find guys. Do I think he wants to? Yeah, I think he's a football lifer. You know, years ago, a lot of people attribute the quote to him in the football life, hey, I'm not going to be Marvel Levy coaching into my 70s. He's approaching 70. He's got both his kids on his staff, as I mentioned today in that tweet. He does seem, you know, invigorated. And I think deep down inside, he's a type A personality like Brady, and he wants to do it without Tom Brady. He wants to win it without Tom Brady. You know, the, the scuttlebutt going around for years was – um, you know, him and Parcells going back and forth and, you know, behind the scenes and Parcells, you know, saying that he was responsible for the majority of the wins and Parcells mumbling under his breath, yeah, well, how many Super Bowls did Parcells win without me? None. Mm. I think that's the type of guy he is. So I think that he's a lifer and I think that he's going to want to coach for as long as he can physically coach. And, um, yeah, I'm sticking with him. I mean, look, he's the best to ever do it. He's just got to, he's got to turn it around with the drafts. Um, and I think ownership is behind him. I do. I think, despite all the crap with Brady and Jimmy G and all that, I, I, I you know, I think that they, that they support him. Um, and my only caveat would be, if some other team came to him and just gave him the world and just said, sat down and said, here, here's the keys to the kingdom. Call us when you win a Super Bowl, and leave him alone and let us do his thing. That would be the only threat. What organization would give him that? I don't know. Houston. Oh wait. <laughs> They don't. They don't have any. They can't give anything. They don't. They don't have anything. <laughs> uh, well, there's always one. That's my caveat. There's always somebody out there willing to give something. You know, for every, you know, for every person out there, for every dumb Bill O'Brien willing to trade away DeAndre Hopkins for a banged up running back. You know, there's always somebody out there. There, there's always a hey, listen. For every grift, there's a mark. Just remember that. For right. every grift, there is a mark that exists. 
Christian, we appreciate you lending us some of your time. For, for our Bills brethren who want to be able to follow you so that you can illuminate them to more tweets that are anti-Patriots and then they can see them roll on. Because you are very defensive of your Patriots team. And all it does is it puts anti-Patriots tweets on my radar because I follow you. Where can our <laughs> listeners follow you on social media? You can follow me at Chris with a T I A N. And, um, you know, like, like Drew said, I'm, you know, I'm a good, good follow. Um, love going back and forth with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, you know, fans of other teams. It's all in good fun. So give me a follow. I'll give you a follow. It's all good. Can you, uh, can you give us your, uh, your, uh, send off for Patriots unfiltered to close it out? All right. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Woo! So it is now time to get the other side of the coin on that one, Chris. One of the more hilarious Monday Night Football games I've ever stayed up to watch. The New York Jets, Patriots, we have Scott Mason on the line as he shows up every week and gives us some of his time. Scott, how do you feel? I was biting my nails down to the end there, fellas, and I can't even tell you what the text... No, actually, I can, and I'm going to. I got some insane text messages and DMs during that game, and in fact, my friend... (laughs) My friend Chris called me at halftime, and he just was going bonkers. He's like, I'm going to burn every one of my Jets jerseys. They're going to screw this up. They're going to win this game. The Patriots are going to end up getting Justin Fields. The Jets are going to wind up with the fifth pick. He was going on and on. He's like, I'm done with this team. I'm not even from this country. I don't even know why I picked the Jets. And he was going nuts. And then the second half, you really got nervous because at the beginning, Flacco throws that long touchdown pass to uh, Rashad Perriman. And you're like, wow, the Jets are up by a significant margin here. And it was 27-17. And then the Patriots just wore the Jets out. They controlled the clock. Cam Newton started to be more and more effective. It gashed away in the running game, and at the very end, they pulled it out. It was wild. I mean, listen, the Jets had the ball with two minutes left in the tie game. If they had driven down the field, they very well could have set up for a game-winning field goal. Instead, they go three and out, including Flacco taking a sack, and then they give the ball back to the Patriots with about a minute left, and Cam Newton was able to do his thing. By the way, you guys are old enough to remember this. Jacoby Myers had 170 yards receiving last night for the Patriots, I could not have been the only one that kept thinking of Jacoby and Myers, right? Yeah. I, 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 I watched last night's game almost with a haze because I was still blown away by the fact that Joe Flacco. If there was a story to come out of that game last night. First of all, do we need to just put him out of his misery? Like, he needs a horse doctor is what that guy needs. He's still Joe Flacco. Fantastic through the first half. That, that first half, that, that bomb to Rashad Perryman that you're talking about, moved Joe Flacco past Joe Montana for all-time passing yards with 40,600. 
Is there a quarterback less deserving of passing Joe Montana ever than Joe well, Flacco? To be fair, Drew, what that really shows me is how the game is the game is how changed. the numbers are yeah. inflated now. And I understand that. Yeah. But but also, was last night not the best passing game, obviously, of this season, maybe ever from a Jets-Gase team against the Patriots? Maybe a Gase team ever. Maybe Gase in his whole career. Last night's passing <laughs> offense through three quarters was the most dynamic thing I'd ever seen. Two touchdowns and more than 20 or more air yards. Three of them from 15-plus. 72% completion percentage. 60% third-down conversions. That passing offense looked unstoppable for three quarters. I mean, it was it was a thing to behold. And I understand why Jets fans, collectively, their buttholes are puckering if, they're, if their goal was, hey, I want the number one pick. But here's where I hate Joe Flacco. And here's where my wife woke up as she's sleeping next to me on the couch because we have a young son and he tends to run us both ragged. So she falls asleep at like 830 she wakes up in the middle of the fourth quarter as I'm just out loud, just cussing Joe Flacco to pieces. And she goes, why? Why are you so mad about a game that the Bills aren't playing? And I go, because that guy, he doesn't even want to be here anymore. Tell me that when you saw Joe Flacco throw that late interception where he overthrew his wide receiver on a, on a deep, I, I want to say it was a deep post, and J.C. Jackson undercuts the ball, gets the pick, he sulked. He didn't go talk to his wide receivers. He had no energy. He had no emotion. He just walked off the sideline, sat on the bench alone on the bench. Just, meh, meh, okay, watching the game happen. At that point, they had run 12 plays to the, at one point in the fourth quarter. The Patriots had run 34 plays to the Jets 12. And here's your quarterback not talking to his wide receivers, not talking to his tight ends. He's literally sitting on the bench just staring around deadpan. It's like that guy is an ass for taking the money, for showing up to do this job. Through three quarters, he looked good. And the first time he runs into a bit of adversity, he just folds. He just folds up his chair and goes home. Like, am I the only person here who wanted to see him get kicked in the face for that? I mean, I can't speak for Chris, but I wasn't looking for him to get kicked in the face. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I will say, I think with Flacco, look, you could say what you want to about him, but the fact that he's still playing, coming off this neck injury for a million dollars shows you that he really does want to play because a million dollars is nothing to a guy like Flacco who's made over $100 million in his career. He's certainly proven all he needs to prove. It's not like he has anything left to do. He's already won a Super Bowl, and he's won, he's made a ton of money. So, uh, look, I said this last night, and I'll stand by it, and it was kind of funny because somebody got on me on Twitter for this, but I said, look, Say what you want to about Flacco, but he obviously can still play to a level where you wouldn't want him as your full-time starter, but if he has to come in as your backup, you could do a lot worse. Him as the backup next year wouldn't be a terrible thing. And people are like, well, what about James Morgan, who the Jets picked in the fourth round? I'm like, I'm sorry, dude. I just don't care about James Morgan. In the fourth <laughs> round thing. Like, why would I care? I've got other things to worry about. But the, the thing that was interesting, though, you guys probably noticed was on offense, as you said, it looked a lot different. The old line was blocking better, but I think a lot of that was because the Patriots have the worst pass rush I've ever seen in my life. And this was the first game this season where Perriman, Mims, and Crowder were all healthy at the same time. So, again, you know, look, I've said very clearly, and I'll I'll continue to say, I think the Jets should have kept Robbie Anderson, but 
Perriman has his moments, and he's got speed, and he broke open a couple of times. And look, would he have done that if Stephen Gilmore was there? Probably not. But if you have him and Crowder and Mims, now you have three receivers that the opposing defense has to at least pay attention to. So uh, that's something to keep your eye on for next season. Probably not Perriman, but Crowder and Mims look like they could be a really nice combo going forward. And what you can't help thinking about is if they can continue to improve this offensive line and they can figure out something at quarterback, and I don't want to jinx it, but you know what I'm talking about, then maybe there's some hope there for the long run. And that's where you know your old friend and my good buddy Joe Blewett was getting really upset last night because he was openly rooting for the Jets to lose and people were like getting on him and he's like, look, if you don't get why people are rooting for the Jets to lose or you're not rooting for the Jets to lose yourself, I don't know what to tell you. I, and I kind of agree I, I retweeted that. Anybody. I retweeted that from him, and a couple Bills fans responded, and his answer was to just respond with gifts from Nacho Libre. Like, that's, yes, that, that's where Joe Blewett's reached this season. He's just like, fine, it's just Jack Black in a frock. Like, that's what I'm going to give you. That's what I have right. left. I have left emotionally at this point to offer you. So right. obviously yeah. the Jets are pivoting away. I mean, the season, you know what it is. You guys have, even the smart people have punted to next year. So when you look at some of the young players, I think last night's game was a mixed bag. I mean, if you're using this now as a scouting session to see who's going to be here and who's not, well, Sean Austin, I mean, that's where I'll start. He was one of those guys who Jets fans in the offseason were just ear-beating the Bills fans about just – how Bless Austin was this great cornerback and how he was going to step up and make a difference. And with him and with X player and Y player and Z player, their defense was going to be great. I watched him play and I saw some decent plays, but I, he's not anything special. And he's, he made some plays that make me question whether or not he's going to make it. I mean, the first one, Damian Harris's nine-yard carry from the 10 in the opening drive of the second half. Austin tries to run outside of a blocker and then cut back into the running back. Now, maybe that worked for you in college. The result was him getting blocked straight into the shadow realm. I mean, straight to hell. I mean, the guy might as well have just, like, hit him with a rock bottom while he was laying on the ground. And Harris runs to the one-yard line. And then he proceeds to have a terrible holding penalty on Myers on what would have been a three-and-out, which extends a Patriots drive late in the fourth. That's not the type of play that you can have from a cornerback on a competitive Jets team, is it? Well, I've said this before, and I think a lot of fan bases sort of suffer from this. A lot of people don't watch enough of the rest of the league, so they see the guys on their team within a bubble and tend to overrate how good the players are. So let me give you one example. Austin is perfect for this. So bless Austin had a couple of decent games last year compared to some of the worst cornerback play we had seen in a really long time from both Tremaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts. So everybody looked at it and said, oh, Austin had a couple of decent games, and he was a sixth-round pick. Maybe he's a gem. He looked like he could potentially be really good. But if you went back and looked at his film, you're like, all right, there's some flashes there, but don't get your hopes up. And now you're seeing it. He's really more of a depth piece than anything else. He's not a guy that should be starting. And another good example is Braxton Berrios, solid punt returner and a guy who is a decent fill-in when somebody's hurt. But you had a lot of Jets fans that were yelling at me because I was saying, don't trade Jamison Crowder at the deadline, whoever the quarterback is next year, Darnold or whoever else, 
They need weapons, and Crowder's very, very good. Why would you get rid of him? And people were like, oh, but you could have Brexton <laughs> Berrios for a fraction of the price. I'm like, okay, but I could also get a Whopper at Burger King instead of getting a filet mignon at Peter Luger's. You know what I'm saying? Like, So that's what happens. A lot of these fans look at these guys in a bubble and think that, like Jordan Jenkins is the perennial example. This is a guy that shouldn't really even be starting but, and on a good team, he wouldn't be. But on the Jets, he's a he's a starter. And everybody, oh, Jordan Jenkins, third round, good value. No, he's a starter. I'll, but he's not really good value because he's not that good of a player. I'll tell you what, Bills fans can, Chris, Bills fans can sympathize with this. Because for years, we looked at wide receivers on the practice squad. Brandon Riley. Brandon Riley. Every single year, there was a guy on the practice squad in the preseason who would flash. And because our wide receiver position was so bad for decades that you'd hear fans go, man, that guy. If the Bills were smart, they would just start that guy. And then the one year that they do go out and they get Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, and John Brown, and you're watching them operate, even the the most Homer fan has to take a step back and go, oh, shit. We were wrong because there's not a practice squad candidate on earth that can hold a candle to what these three are doing right now. And so in that way, we you're right. Fans do tend to overvalue guys. And so that can kind of cloud judgment. I think Bless might be a good example of this. On the, on the flip side, a guy that I was really, I was impressed. I don't know what your feeling was. Denzel Mims. This is the first yeah. chance I've gotten to actually sit back and watch him play. What was your takeaway from his game? Yeah, he was really good. He's impressive. And I think the thing about him that stood out to me the most was not only was he making plays in the passing game, but and this is not a surprise to anybody who's familiar with his work at Baylor, he was ferocious as a blocker in the run game as well. He is very physical I, what I've said many times, your your friend and mine, Brett Coleman, who, as I've said, is one of my favorites. He does that show, The Film Room, on YouTube. He's got his own podcast now, too. But we talked a lot about Mims because he loved Mims. He did a video called Denzel Mims Sleeper Superstar uh, leading into the draft. And after the Jets picked him, we did an entire show breaking down Mims. And the thing about the Mims is that he sort of blends together characteristics of a bunch of different good receivers not that he's as good necessarily as any of the guys I'm about to mention, but there's traits that are similar to each of these guys. So, for example, his physicality and the way he's able to use his body, Brandon Marshall. Some of the ways that he, he runs routes, DeAndre Hopkins. And some of the tricks that he uses and his overall style, Jordy Nelson. So there's a little bit of each of those guys in him. And if you watch his Baylor tape, he ran a 4-3-9. He do, he's not as fast. He doesn't play to his speed, I guess is the best way you could put it. But he does a lot of really nice things. And I think he was this year's DK Metcalf. And not that I'm saying he's as good as Metcalf. But what I'm saying is that DK Metcalf dropped in the draft to late second round because a lot of teams outthought themselves. They said, well, he didn't do well in the three-cone drill, and he's too <laughs> muscular. And they kept coming up with all these reasons not to take DK Metcalf. And so he dropped. And the same thing, I think, happened with Mims. They said, well, he's a system player, and uh, also he needs work on his routes and all this. But if you watch this film, he won, and he won a lot, and he found a variety of different ways to do it. So to get a guy like that at 59 was really good. I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be an elite receiver. I mean, there's a possibility. But he has a chance to be a really, really good receiver. And you, you look, he's played two really nice games, 
and he's only played in two games. So you got to give him a lot of credit having missed the entire um, offseason, no practice, and then he missed the first six games. And he was a guy that a lot of people thought was going to take some time to really get everything learned here in the NFL, and yet he's already producing. I think that's a really nice sign. One final question before we let you go. <clears throat> you guys are going into your bye week. How much is the bye week favored? <laughs> I would say the bye's got to be favored by two touchdowns at this point. Is it a road game or a home game? Are they oh, playing at MetLife Stadium? <laughs> uh, Scott, you're a consummate professional. We love that you join us every week to bless us with your expertise, your inside knowledge of right now the most unfortunate team. I'm sure, Chris, this podcast, this has been so much fun. I, I have no doubt it's going to continue. Yeah. So with that in mind... Hopefully in the future, as years go by, we can have some better conversations. <laughs> conversations about more competitive games, because this might have been the pinnacle of competition, competitive football for the New York Jets in 2020. I don't know that it gets any better for you guys, but if people want to hear about the draft picks and the stuff and the stuff going on with the team and what's coming down the pipeline, because it can't get any worse than this. Where can they follow you, and what do you have going on over at Play Like a Jet? I feel like I've said it can't get any worse than this many times, and <laughs> somehow it's a way to get worse. But you can find me. At the, the podcast is available anywhere that you download podcasts, so Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Apple, plus TurnOnTheJets.com, seven days a week. God help me for that. Mondays, you usually get the post-game report with Andy Vasquez of NorthJersey.com. We go through everything that happened, go through the news, everything that was talked about in the locker room interviews, injury updates, all of that. Then on Tuesday, Brian Bassett, the godfather of Jets podcast, him and his friends Travis Milton and Josh Conrad host the show called There's Always Next Year, which is very aptly named at the moment. And they have some fun. They play some games. It's Jets-centric, but they have a lot more fun with it, and it's a little more light and comedic. Then on Wednesdays, Mish Mehta from the New York Daily News joins for a midweek look at the news. Thursdays, we're doing draft stuff now, as you just alluded to, Drew. So we're alternating every other week. It's our friend Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report. And then the other week is uh, Charlie Campbell from WalterFootball.com. We're delving into stock reports. So we'll take a look at each position, who helped, who, who helped themselves, who hurt themselves each week. Then some guys that are climbing up the boards according to what people are hearing. Fridays, Michael Nanny joins for a look at the advanced stats. Then on Saturdays, it's Joe Blewett to talk film. And Sundays, we do the pregame report and mailbag plus gambling tips with Chris Nibley of JetsInsider.com and Walter Cherapinski of WalterFootball.com. And as I like to tell people, Walter is up something like $4,000 this season. So even if you don't care about the mailbag questions, which are always fun because they range from why is Adam Gase still allowed in the building to what type of topping do you want on your pizza? We let everything fly on the mailbag. If you're, that's not your thing, you still have a chance to get some cool tips that will make you some money on Sundays. So that, that runs the gamut for all seven days, and I appreciate you guys having me on. As always, looking forward to talking to you next week. And then finally, our own Buffalo Bills. They won their game 44-34 to against the Seahawks. Now, if you want to hear our full recap over on our Rockpile Report podcast, we hosted WGR 550's Nate Geary. I think it's a, I think it's an excellent listen. I I teared up a little bit. Things got a little emotional. Chris always gets uncomfortable when I get weepy. 
Yeah, I don't like people that put their emotions out <laughs> so I can see it. For Bills fans, Sunday was a lot of fun for a multitude of reasons. I mean, the Bills won big at home, giving Sean McDermott his first win of the season over a team that currently has a better than 80% shot to make the postseason, moving his record to 4-17 and against playoff teams all time. Was a bounce-back performance for this football team in a manner of a number of categories that the team has kind of faltered in through the month of October. We talked about it last week on this show, Chris. The quarterback play, creativity on offense, defensive execution. The last month really shook a lot of fans' confidence in those things. And then it kept the Bills two and a half games ahead of the, the AFC division race because the Dolphins, they're picking up heat. And I think that the win over a common opponent helps us. Now that we're seeing what Miami's bringing to the table, thinking about what Tua might be, those games become important down the stretch. Yeah. We gotta keep we gotta keep our lead on the Dolphins here. At the beginning of the game, they flashed a graphic, this Seattle Seahawks game, that made me essentially just chug the beer that I had just opened in almost embarrassment, even though there was no one around to see me. The Fox graphic illustrated that somehow, inexplicably, the Colts, who aren't even in the AFC East anymore, have more AFC East division titles than the Buffalo Bills since the turn of the century. A lot of people forget that the Colts used to be in the AFC East. I forgot until I saw that. And Chris, do you know how sad that made me? (laughs) Yeah, it's got to be sad. After the game, I came across an article by local country music station here in Buffalo, WYRK. Yeah, I saw it it before you sent it to me. Of all the places to find football content, Chris, a country music website? Yeah. But this, I I appreciated this one. Because it outlined that since the Bills' last division title came in 1995, and all the things that still existed the last time the Bills hoisted the division crown... They had a list of all of the things that were still around back in 95 when the Bills won the division. It was a walk down memory lane for sure. I mean, first of all, two two of them were stores that were a staple of my childhood. I mean, brand names. Were you still in Buffalo for brand names? I don't remember that store. 1995, I was uh, one year into living in the South. That's what I figured. Every year as a kid, my brothers and I would use the brand names catalog to make our Christmas list. Chris, let me lay out a scenario for you. This is pre-Amazon, pre-internet, pre-everything. You would call this store looking at their catalog, or you would walk in and you would buy products, everything from appliances to workout equipment, video games and toys, and they would order them for you and have it shipped into the store so you could come pick it up. Amazing. Picture Amazon, except you have to call or physically walk into a building. And it doesn't get shipped to your house. No, no. You have to drive somewhere 20 minutes away to go pick it up. And that was considered cutting edge. But every year we used to use it to make our Christmas list. How archaic, how caveman does that feel now? Yeah, calling the store, talking to people. I can order anything from my cell phone and have it to my house in two days. The other night, I almost bought bear traps on Amazon. (laughs) Bear traps. Why? Because I feel like every home in America should have at least a pair. But with that said, I can have that delivered to my house, no questions asked, in two days. You used to have to get a catalog to get these things, Chris. And then, Hills Department Stores. 
According to legend, little folks know Hills is where the toys are. Hills Toy Layaway. Just 10% down. A small service charge. Lays away toys, little and large. Hundreds <laughs> of toys. Express Layaway. Oh my God, where did you find this? Easier for you. Remember, Found it on the old Hills Toy Layaway. What oh my God. why they say Hills is where the toys are. At low prices every day. Here's a story. Oh so, my God. so what a throwback! I, I there's I have a photo on my computer. There's a, a picture of, and please tell me that your mom and dad did this to you when you were a child because it happened with my parents. So, my brother and I were getting our photos taken at Olin Mills. Yes, Olin we, Mills for the win. Yes, we were not cooperating as brothers usually don't at that age. Yeah, there was four of us and we. Yeah, we, we still fist fight. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, I don't do that with my brother, but we weren't we weren't uh, agreeing on things, and my mom was very irritated that we weren't getting along for this Olin Mills photo shoot. So she uh, goes, you know, right to the point, and goes, "If you guys cooperate right now, I will buy you anything." And so, for me and my brother at Olin Mills, just to lean our heads in and touch heads my mom bought us water guns at hills <laughs> hills was this department store that i remember when they went out of business chris that's how long ago this was i was a child they were they, bought out by ames and they were which then subsequently went bankrupt yeah like three years later so department stores back then pre-walmart pre-everything this hills place but they specialized in toys they specialize in, like, kid-friendly stuff. And I just remember being there. That being my first, like, taste. When they filed for bankruptcy and we went in there for their closing sale, and they had Game Boy games on sale for $3. And I remember people buying the shelves and carrying them out. And as a kid, thinking, well, this is Mad Max. The world is clearly ending. I mean, Hills, the toy, the toy store that I know and love is being sold piecemeal. Clearly, the world is ending. And then Discovery Zone. Do you remember that? Yeah, we had those down in Atlanta. I've been there. It was a less creepy version of Chuck E. Cheese that focused less on animatronic rats and more on just having a badass maze of tubes and ball pits and tunnels. You went to at least a handful of birthday parties. Yeah. My wife actually has a hilarious story where her parents, like one weekend, she was like, Mom, I want to go to I want to go to Discovery Zone. And she threw a fit. And her mom looked at her and went, Discovery Zone only let you in for birthday parties. Now, she's five years younger than me, and in 1995, I would have been 10. So she was five. And for a five-year-old, she yes. bought it. She just assumed into her teens that, oh, Discovery Zone, you only get to go there for birthdays. <laughs> no, Discovery Zone was exactly just like Chuck E. Cheese, except they didn't have a full band. <laughs> What was going on in your lives? 1995. I want our listeners to tweet at us at Rockpile Report. I just remember that, Chris. The defining moment was watching Hills just be chopped to pieces, piecemeal, carried away and thinking, oh, well, this is clearly the end of days. That's it. The world's ending. And if, but look, at, we're sitting here talking about how it's a foregone conclusion, Chris. A foregone conclusion that the Bills are going to win the AFC East. Now, we got a, a small, tough stretch here with Arizona next week and uh, Followed by the bye, followed by the Chargers. Do, do we have a tough stretch, though, Chris? I mean, there's people out there listening to this who think we're putting the cart before the horse. And I'm willing to admit that. I'll concede that talking about it right now seem, might seem a little premature. 
But then again, for a team that was supposed to be in the top five for difficulty of schedule at the beginning of the year, let's take a look at what lies ahead for Buffalo once you get past the Cardinals. Chris, I have a chart. I have a graph. I have all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I see you have the schedule the rest of the way along with each team's playoff percentage right now and then their wins and losses. I don't think I don't think we saw coming into the season San Francisco being are where they are and that's just solely because of injuries. The av- Chris, the average opponent record we play for the rest of the season is 4 and 4. We play exactly two football teams with a winning record as of today. Two. That's it. When you look on the defensive side of the ball, you have four teams that are in the top ten for pass defense and three teams that are in the top ten for scoring defense. So I understand why people look at that and say, wow, the Bills. But when you look at the offenses we're about to go play, you have one quarterback in the top ten for passing yards. That's Justin Herbert. You know, as we just got into talking with Elf, the one win Justin Herbert. You have two quarterbacks with touchdown-to-interception ratios better than one-and-a-half to one. That ain't good. You have three quarterbacks currently in the top ten for interception percentage. And you have one quarterback with a winning record. If you take out Big Ben, the win-loss ratio of the quarterbacks that we have to play, it's 8-17. and 17. Does that scare you? Not really. This Big Ben's the only the only threat. And when you look at the playoff percentages of the teams left on our schedule, there is only one currently bona fide playoff team, and that's the Steelers sitting at eight and zero. They're a ninety nine percent lock to make the playoffs. Everyone else, Miami sitting at fifty four percent, they're better than a coin flip, but not by much. Everyone else, the other three teams have single digit playoff odds right now. The Broncos, 5%. The New England Patriots, 6%. The Chargers have a 1% shot to make the postseason at a 2-6 and six record. I'm supposed to be scared of them after we just beat the Seahawks. Uh, I think everybody knows that the Chargers are going to do something you think the Bills normally do. <laughs> just the way they lose games. Like the one that they lost on Sunday. Hey, let's throw to our backup tight end on a fade route. <laughs> after we just ran a fade route to Mike Williams. I mean, when you see all of this data laid out in front of you, Chris, does it make you feel incredibly more confident? Yeah, I'm I'm in the belief right now that we're going to be in the playoffs. I do remember, what would it be, 7-2? and two? I do believe, the, I think it was the 93 Miami Dolphins started 7-2, and two, and they missed the playoffs. <laughs> of course it's the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Don't put that either. I mean, barring anything terrible to derail our momentum, injury to quarterback, injury to, I mean, and I guess this is where it gets sticky because, Chris, we've seen what happens to this offense if you take John Brown out of it. Yeah. I mean, there was a play on Sunday where he came up a little gimpy, and I just I held my breath because I was just like, oh, God, don't do this to me. <laughs> don't do, Things were working so well. Don't do this to me. This will be the Rams game all over again. In fact, I think I said that to you. Yeah. You, you kept repeating that. Plenty of times. It became a mantra in my house. But ultimately, I think we all look at what's laying ahead of us. This road isn't as hard as we thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year. When you looked at the late stretch of the season, I think people assumed this was going to be a very hard time for the Buffalo Bills. I just don't see it happening now. The way this team is playing, with the way our opponents are playing, there's some, been some surprising injuries, surprising... I mean... Who knew that the Chargers and Broncos were going to be devastated by injuries? 
I think that's the biggest story. Would you agree between the Patriots, the Chargers, the 49ers, the Broncos? The biggest storyline here is something Sean McDermott said at the very beginning of the season. The teams that stay healthy, whether it's COVID related, whether it's injury related, are going to have a significant advantage as this season goes on. We're seeing that play out as the three most banged up teams that we're going to play all have less than a 20% chance to make the playoffs as of today. I mean, you can't shake that. And so it's with that that I feel an incredible level of confidence. And that brings us to our Week 10 outlook. The New York Jets, <laughs> they get a bye week. Mercifully, the team has decided to give its fans a week off from just, to whether, whether it's positive or negative, just horrifically toying with their emotions. New England, they're home against Baltimore on Sunday night football. Is there a more... Is there a game that you want to watch less in primetime than the three-win New England Patriots against the Baltimore Ravens? Are we at that point where we can flex out? No, we're one week shy of it. Jesus. We're one week shy. I mean, think about this. The Patriots are in the basement of the AFC East. They're irrelevant in the NFL playoff picture. And this is a matchup of the AFC's worst passers. Cam Newton is such a bad quarterback at this point that NFL Next Gen Stats doesn't even have a quarterback chart for him. Lamar Jackson, through nine weeks, is, per the athletic, the most inefficient quarterback in the NFL. I mean, Baker Mayfield is having a better season than him at this point. And he's in the bottom three in the entire league for the number of passes, percentage of his overall passes that are declared catchable balls. I swear you would be of more use to me if I skinned you and turned your skin into a lampshade or fashioned you into a piece of high-end luggage. I, I swear to God, that's, that, that's the energy that I have for both of these quarterbacks at this point. <laughs> what are the odds that this game gets flexed, Chris? None. Because the rule states only two games can be flexed, but that was pre-COVID. I mean, now they're just making things up as they go. But New England's a major market and so is Baltimore. They care about the ratings, which means they are going to shoot. They're going to funnel that game down our throats like some freshman during rush week at a fraternity house. I mean, this is bad. I mean, you've got Cam, you've got Cam Newton and all of his absurd inability to protect the football. He's going to go up against one of the most opportunistic defenses in the AFC East. The Patriots defense is going to go up against a quarterback who genuinely just can't throw to wide receivers. What can we please? Can we not? Can we all just get so drunk at four o'clock during our Bills game that we just black out for this one? Yeah, that's what I'm probably gonna plan on doing. <laughs> you got Miami with home against the Chargers. Two of us, Herbert, the battle of 2020 quarterbacks. Another common opponent for the Buffalo Bills. So it's gonna be interesting to see if Tua can stay out of trouble playing a defense that has at least one turnover in its last five straight games. If they can be opportunistic against a young quarterback who, like I said, it becomes a problem when you start putting film on, on film out there, good defensive coordinators will take advantage of you. I think an under-radar under the radar storyline here is that the Chargers have only allowed one 200-yard passer since their bye week three weeks ago. That's something to keep an eye on. They're in the playoff race, but that could change at any moment. And then you've got the Buffalo Bills away against the Cardinals. It's going to be a weird game. 4 p.m. starts never sit well with me. I don't know what to do with my morning. There's less time to sober up after the game before I have to go to bed. And if the Bills win, then I'm stuck up running around the house all night like a kid who had too much, uh, like a kid who had too many pixie sticks. And now the parents don't know what to do with them. 
I pity my wife in these in these scenarios. I really do. Now I'll just get drunk enough, Uber home, maybe fall asleep in an Uber, <laughs> and then uh, walk in here, puke in a hoodie, and go to bed. See, and those are the, the, that game is the reason you now Uber everywhere. Yeah, thank God. Folks, we are strongly against drinking and driving here at the Rock Pile Report podcast. Don't but, do it. Yeah, but if you think you're good at it, do it. <laughs> Folks, he is not a lawyer. Do not take his advice. This represents for Buffalo one of the final tough matchups on our schedule. And a, a win out west and eight wins would, in my mind, cement the Bills as division favorites. It'd be hard to argue with that logic. 100%. I can't wait to watch it all play out. Huge thank you to all of our guests tonight, because every week they show up and give us the goods, Chris. This podcast has actually been one of my favorite things of the season. The, the Bill season being entertaining is one, but this is a one that's 1A. This is 1B, because it scratches an itch that we've been looking for, and our guests are just incredible for showing up for us every week. Folks, good luck to all your respective teams in week, uh, week 10. Not that much luck, though. And we'll see you next week for another AFC's Roundup podcast. But for now, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Thanks for stopping by. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.